It's my pleasure to introduce today's guest speaker. Uh, my only regret is I won't be here to, to hear it because mm -hmm. yeah, the topic's how therapy works and I often wonder. Yes, even, so, as a therapist. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. One of the uh, best decisions that, that we made uh, early in the days of the Lipscomb Marriage and Family Therapy Program was hiring Justin Briggs. Justin came to us uh, you're in your fourth or fifth year? Uh, it'll be four years in fall. It'll be four years this yeah. fall. He came to us as our clinical director. He oversees the Lipscomb Family Therapy Center. Uh, he's a core faculty member in the Marriage and Family Therapy Program. Uh, also has a private practice uh, and an institute uh, where he employs uh, some of our, our graduates and just doing great things in the community. Uh, creating access to mental health services, so um, it'll you'll you'll be blessed. To know what Justin has to say about about how therapy works, and uh, turn it over to Justin. Well, I'm just grateful that Dave and I didn't wear the exact same outfit as we it's, do. It's been one to, to two happen. days a week. Yes. Um, we yeah. show up to work yeah. and we're like, okay, I got your email apparently. Right. And so yeah, I'm glad you we went look with like them. a singing group. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Only one of us grew up in an acapella church, so it, it, yeah, it, it yeah. means different things to different Yeah, yeah, we had heathen instruments in my Nazarene church. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was. This will be a good class. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for having me here. Uh, Terry, uh, Casey, as you guys know, um, kind of runs this whole series, and he asked me if I would speak this year, and I shot a couple ideas at him. He's like, nah. And, 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 uh, and then I was like, what about this? And he's like, hmm. Uh, so finally we settled on how therapy works. And uh, really what he wanted me to do here was, uh, and what we thought would be best, is if I just kind of give an overview of everything from how to find a good therapist, because that can be overwhelming in and of itself, to what exactly do we know? Like what does the science tell us about successful therapy? Like is it a magic wand and all of a sudden you feel better and are communicating effectively? Or is it something else? Hint, it's something else. Um, so please, 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 please feel free to ask questions that will help this go a whole lot better. Uh, I don't like hearing myself talk for 45 straight minutes and you probably won't either. So um, I, I, I work with Ashley and I said, you're my icebreaker. You, you, you need to ask questions today. Yeah, yeah. Um, I tell my students, there's no way I've ever said anything perfectly, and no questions means that you're not asking me where I said it perfectly. So anyway, um, so first of all, I'm going to kind of get into how to find a good therapist. What are some tricks of the trade there? H how do we do that well? And nowadays, where would most of you go when you're starting your search for therapy? Primary care doctor. Primary care doctor. Interesting. Because that's not where most people go nowadays. So where? online, right? So a lot of people are going online, which is not a bad place to start. But what are you looking for online? You could go to Psychology Today and type in Franklin or Nashville and quickly be overwhelmed by the number of profiles that are out there. We have a lot of therapists in this area. So how do you know who's good, right? Um, and what matters? So Psychology Today is a, a website that a lot of therapists register with. Uh, what I like about Psychology Today is that they're verified licensed clinicians. So that's always something that you, you want to see. Or they're verified clinicians who are working under uh, another uh, supervisor's license. So our field, uh, mental health, is a lot like the medical field in that once you finish your degree, you can't do this on your own for usually about two to four years, right? So um, 
our graduates in our master's program, they, they finish their degree and then their state requires at least two years of them getting more experience and more supervision before they could be independent uh, therapists. Now the reason I say this is a lot of people go like, oh, if you're not seeing a licensed clinician, you're not seeing a good therapist. That's not the case at all. It would be just like going to Vanderbilt Hospital and having the chief resident uh, who's still in his or her residency performing a surgery on you. That's probably a very well-trained, very skilled, and, and quite frankly, probably has a lot of the, 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 the latest science in his or her head, which is what you want, as opposed to the therapist who's been doing this for you know, 30 years and getting the bare minimum continuing education. Uh, so you want to be sure that you're looking at a site like Psychology Today. Also, look at the therapist website. Um, nowadays, uh, that's just, it, it says a lot about a therapist. If a therapist doesn't have a site, uh, it's usually for one or two reasons. Either the therapist is very part-time, uh, maybe three reasons, not, te not technologically savvy, um, or is so busy that he or she doesn't have to have a website. But a lot of the best good therapists are going to have a nice-looking website, very, very uh, informative, uh, and that's important for many reasons that we're going to get to in a minute. Uh, my favorite source uh, uh, to find out about therapy in any area is referrals from friends. Nothing speaks louder than like a primary care doctor or really, honestly, a former client, right? And another reason why I like that is fortunately in, I would say the last 10 or 15 years, the stigma around going to see a therapist is decreasing more and more and more. So one of the things I love about getting referrals from friends is you're forced to ask around and say, hey, I'm looking for a therapist. They're like, I have a really good one I've been seeing for years and it's not this stigmatizing conversation, right? So. Um, I, love, I, I love getting that uh, referral from a, a friend. And again, I'm going to get into some more reasons why that's the case. So questions that I get asked. Um, so I run two clinics. I run Lipscomb Family Therapy Center, which is uh, a clinic with current graduate students. Um, and then I run the Briggs Institute Incorporated, which uh, Chris Gonzalez, Dave Morgan, and I supervise some of our former students. So they're kind of in that therapy equivalent of a residency during that like two to four year span. And one of the questions I get asked a lot is, does the gender of therapist matter, right? So I'm looking for therapy for my kid, you know, does it matter? Well, the research says no. Men are effective therapists, women are effective therapists. The only time gender matters is if it matters to the client, okay? So if you're looking for therapy for yourself and you don't really care, you could probably go either way. I would really, prioritize qualifications there above all else. Um, if you're looking for somebody and that person does have a preference, well then I would say, yeah, probably find a therapist of the gender uh, that is preferred there. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, sometimes we want to talk to a woman about something. Sometimes we want to talk to a man about something. That's totally fine. Uh, but if you don't have a preference, there's not a magic uh, equation there that says therapist gender must match or must be opposite of client gender. Um, does age and experience matter? Uh, the research here is actually mixed, okay? Experience doesn't do a whole lot. Training trumps more than that. So simply putting in the time is not enough to be a good therapist. Because if you've been putting in the time as a therapist using cruddy technique coming from not great information, you're unfortunately probably not doing your clients a whole lot of help. So you want to make sure that, again, qualifications are going to trump anything else because experience doing something just is not enough. 
I have tried many, many house projects over the years, but because I lack the training, I'm not as good as the craftsman who comes in there, boom, 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 my father-in-law being one of them. He fixes anything and everything. It's very humbling. Um, so uh, training matters more. So what about race? It's the same thing. These demographic characteristics, they only matter when they matter to the client. All right? So um, it, what matters more is that a therapist is what we call culturally competent, which means that Really, the therapist has a, has a humble spirit and doesn't assume that he or she knows where you come from, who you are, what your experiences are, simply by the color of your skin or the fact that you come from Otter Creek or whatever demographic characteristic it is. Oops. Sorry, tears coming out here. Um, it, it, it is visible. It, 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 these, these only matter when they matter to the client. Uh, what about religion? Right? I, I, oftentimes I get asked, well, are you a Christian, do you practice Christian counseling? Are, are you a Christian counseling center? And you will find therapists who advertise themselves this way. Uh, but our field, there, there is no profession Christian counseling. I tell people it'd be like asking for Christian dentistry or Christian surgery, right? Almost everything we do in the therapy room. Uh, is would be able to be used with clients across the demographic spectrum, across the ideological spectrum. Now, here's the caveat to that. The science says that when a client has a spiritual life, generally that's a strength. So you wanna be with a therapist who's comfortable talking about issues related to spirituality if that is important to you, right? Um, but on its surface, I, I, I have not found over the course of my career, and research wouldn't back it up, that somebody advertising his or herself as a Christian therapist is a better therapist to work with Christians. And in fact, my, this is my own stuff coming through here. Like, I want to work with everybody. And in fact, as a Christian, I'm under orders to go out there and like develop relationships with people who aren't Christian. And if I advertise myself as a Christian counselor, what do you think is going to happen to my practice? It's going to be a bunch of Christians, which is fine. You're not going to get the others. I'm not going to get the others, right? Uh, so I, I really want to get out there and serve everybody and love everybody. And um, I, I, think, I think the best therapists are, are going to have a similar inclination there. Uh, the best therapists that I've ever known, they, they, they don't want to get tied down with a certain people group. So even if they have a specialty, they... Uh, usually have a small portion of the practice that's totally different. It helps keep, keep your tools sharp. But, um, you know, religion of therapists has not been shown to really affect treatment outcome, uh, uh, just like, like I said, just like dentistry or surgery. So what about training? When you are looking for a therapist, the training does matter. Not all programs are created equally. So if you're going to take a note here, take this note. The two top uh, credentialing um, accrediting bodies in, at the master's level are CoAmpty, which is Commission on Accreditation of Marriage and Family Therapy Education. You don't have to remember that. It's just CoAmpty. All right, that's the highest accrediting body for marriage and family therapists. And then KCREP, uh, which has its own long acronym. But, uh, and these are C-A-C-R-E-P and then C-O-A-M-F-T-E. Those are the two highest accrediting bodies in our field for master's level clinicians. Um, they also accredit doctoral level education. If somebody is a graduate from a program that is accredited by one of those two institutions, you know that they've learned state-of-the-art technique. You know that they had, uh, there's accountability in the program itself. So 
Uh, that's important because some programs get lazy, right? And when you have a, an accrediting body, it forces you to stay at the top of your uh, practice that way. Um, and then the type of program. In our field, with technology as it is, it's really hard to get anything close to an equal experience yet with an online uh, degree. Now, that's not to say that there aren't good online degrees. There are even some CoAMFD and KCREP accredited online degrees, okay? So those are probably the top-notch online degree. But I am a believer that in a, in a counseling field, there's so much that you learn from face-to-face -face supervision from your peer, from your cohort. So if you're looking to kind of split hairs here and you're looking for the tiebreaker and you have somebody who went to uh, an online program or an in-person program, generally the in-person one there is probably going to be a richer experience. That's not to say that there aren't going to be top-notch clinicians who come from other types of programs, right? So I'm, in a talk like this, I'm forced to talk in generalities. Uh, so forgive me if you're that online therapist graduate. <laughs> Yell at me later. Um, and then specializations. A lot of times I'll, I'll get questions from clients like, I'm looking for somebody who specializes in working with women with long brown hair who wear blue sweaters and black pants, right? Not literally, but they're looking for a specialist in a very particular problem. 13-year-olds who are suffering with depression after watching a certain TV show. Right? That is not going to be the case most of the time with clinicians. And quite frankly, it's not that important. Um, you know, it, it, when you go to see a, a doctor, yeah, it'd be nice if that person specialized in the flu, but you don't have to be a flu specialist to effectively treat the flu. It's the same with therapy, right? Um, therapists have areas of special clinical interest. They go on and get continuing education that gives them some information, but uh, just because a therapist doesn't advertise his or herself as a specialist in insert presenting problem here, that doesn't mean that that's not going to be a great clinician for you. So if you see a therapist online that has a great online presence that really resonates with you, has a really uh, great um, educational background, just because <laughs> that specialization is not listed doesn't mean that you don't give that therapist a call. In fact, I, I really encourage that. And why is that the case? So, um, oh, and before I get into that, Cost. A lot of times people talk about cost. That's one of the factors uh, that, that goes into therapy. You really have three tiers of cost. And these are like Nashville market numbers. Um, and the tiers are going to be based on the experience level and the educational level of the, clinician, uh, uh, of the clinicians themselves. So if you are open to seeing a current graduate student, which is not at all bad therapy, we, we uh, practice evidence-based practice at Lipscomb Family Therapy Center. We, we have every client rate their therapist every single session, every time they come in. And the numbers for my graduate st uh, student clinicians are really, 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 really high. <laughs> Higher than the average licensed clinician uh, uh, satisfaction rating. So uh, those are less experienced therapists, but they're currently getting great supervision. They're, they're, uh, they're in, in, in you know, high quality programs. Trebekah has interns, other programs in the area having in interns. We have therapy as low as $10 a session at LFTC, right? And that puts therapy in the affordability uh, wheelhouse of a lot of people, a lot of people who didn't have that option uh, just even 10, 10 years ago. So uh, if you're gonna see a current student, you should probably be paying 10 to 50 in that range, uh, uh, and that's per session. Um, if you're going to see somebody who's not let yet independently licensed, like people at my clinic, the Briggs Institute Incorporated, 
Uh, our fees range from 60 to 95 per session. Um, and then for licensed clinician, you're really 100 and up, but generally 100 to 150. And PhD level clinicians don't get paid all that much more than, than master's level clinicians. Um, so you're gonna be paying in that 100, 150 range. The next question I get is what about insurance, right? Now, a lot of clinicians don't accept insurance. Well, why do you think that is? Yeah, it dictates the rates. It doesn't give you a lot of coverage. And you got to do a ton of work just to get reimbursed, which a lot of private practice clinicians don't have time to do. You don't have time to be spending eight hours a week talking with insurance providers. Um, there's also session limitations on, on uh, insurance. And then a lot of insurance providers won't pay for treatment until you meet your deductible. A lot research says a lot of people don't meet their deductible in a given year. A lot of deductibles are high, four and five thousand dollars. You're never going to spend that much on therapy in a year. So uh, don't. I would say don't exclusively just narrow your search to therapists who are looking, uh, who will accept your insurance because chances are, fairly good depending on your insurance provider. You're not going to kick that in anyway. So you're probably better off finding the therapist who you think is the best fit. Yeah, I, I kind of tell people, it, so it, part of this is also dictated by market. Uh, Nashville is, I have found it, it, it is a market that can support cash, uh, cash therapy. Other markets can't, like college towns, uh, where I got my PhD at Purdue. Uh, one of my advisors is like one of the best therapists probably ever in the field. And he took insurance for 30 years because everybody in that town used insurance and nobody would pay cash. But you're right. In, in, in an area like this, the people who accept insurance generally are those who have to, which probably means they're either brand new or they have a hard time getting referrals uh, from, from former clients. But most, most of the time, it's probably because they're brand new. Um, great comment. So what about therapy itself? What do you guys think is the strongest predictor of therapy outcome? You can't answer this one because you might know. Exactly. So the number one group of predictors of therapy outcome are something we call client factors, right? And so we've used a lot of research over the years and a lot of fancy math to prove this, right? Client engagement, client readiness to change, hopefulness and expectancy that therapies can be beneficial, and then just general hard work, right? When somebody comes in like this, usually brought in by a parent, you know? Like, w hoping that I like, you know, and all of a sudden, the, you know, like that's not how it works. You got to have this readiness, this hopefulness. You got to come in willing to change ways of thinking and behaving, right? All therapy, no matter what model the therapist practice, uh, works with client thoughts, with client emotions, and with client behaviors. All of them. Right? So some models are like, well, we work with emotions first, then thoughts and behaviors. Some models are like, well, we work with thoughts and behaviors and then emotions. That doesn't really matter because all therapists are going to be intervening in the same three areas, thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And what's really important as the client is that you're coming here saying, I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to think critically. I'm 
hopeful that this could be helpful, which by the way, in the last 30 years, we've shown that clients who come in uh, with this readiness and expectancy, uh, therapy really works for them. There's a lot of reason to think that therapy can help you with problems that we know therapy can help with, things like depression, anxiety, general mental illness, relationship problems, right? Parent-child relationship problems, romantic relationship problems, siblings, whatever. Um, but the number one predictor of therapy outcome are those client factors. Can anybody guess what the number two is? The, the second strongest group of predict predictors? Any guesses? It's an aspect that we call it the therapeutic alliance. It's the quality of the relationship between therapist and client. It's kind of like dating, okay? Um, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but there's probably been people in here who went out on a date with somebody in the dating years, and you're like, there is nothing wrong with this person, and I'm just not feeling it, right? Like the, on paper, this person's great, the, you know, this person's attractive, this person's nice, this person's kind, and you're just like, meh. Okay, like it's just, you're not feeling it. It's kind of the same with the therapist. It's the quality of that relationship. So there's, lo there's lots of things that both client and therapist do to help that, that relationship. But generally, if you're not feeling connected to your therapist, especially after the <laughs> second or third session, what should you do? Change, Change therapists, right? Don't force feed it, okay? Just because, it's like the, like the dating thing. Just because your grandma set you up doesn't mean you keep dating the person you're not really jiving with, okay? Uh, so be picky. I tell people that all the time. Don't just be satisfied with okay therapy. Oh yeah, it's all right. No, I want you to be like, I love my therapist. He's awesome. She's great. Yes. Would there be a concern if you were say bringing like a ten or eleven year old to your program, with mm -hmm. working with a graduate student who maybe they do develop a great relationship and then they go back to Washington State or wherever? They yeah. Go. So. My average number of sessions is 15, but I see half my clients fewer than eight. So most clients aren't long-term clients. Okay, even at my clinic, the average number of sessions in my clinic is like 7.8, 7.9. Okay? So of course, that, there's a wide range there. I've had clients I've seen over 100 times. Those are the exception rather than the rule. So hopefully, therapy gets to the point where you, you're either satisfied with how you're functioning and you're maintaining and, and some people say like, oh yeah, I wanna come in you know, every four or six weeks at that point. Uh, but a lot of times you just stop coming in, right? Um, our job as therapists is to work ourselves out of a job, one way or the other. We either work ourselves to maintenance phase or work ourselves to where the client doesn't need to keep coming in. So uh, and it, the, the only time that would like be the case, and in my clinic it isn't as, as big a deal just because of how we run it. Like if somebody came in towards like the end of the school year where a therapist is graduating, but in my clinic, all new cases that, as we near that point become co-therapy with a second year therapist and a first year therapist. So even if the second year therapist is leaving, you're gonna still have that relationship with that first year therapist uh, if that time runs over. Great question. Um, so the therapy alliance, make sure that you like your therapist. If you're not feeling that, it's probably not gonna work. Which leads us to the third strongest predictor of therapy outcome, which is the therapist. What? Oh, oh, the spell. Thank you. I thought you were pointing to my shoes. I'm like, yes, they're Clarks. I got them at DSW. Uh, my wife did. She picks out all my clothes. Uh, not in the morning. She just buys them originally. That's why, okay? I'm not there. She just does a better job at that than I do. Uh, she's in the back. Uh, 
The third strongest set of predictors is does the therapist know what the heck he or she is doing, right? And now we're back to training and qualifications. If you don't get the impression that your therapist is a hard worker, get out, okay? If your therapist doesn't seem to have a grasp of research and if your therapist isn't integrating that into the treatment process, get out, okay? If, if therapy always feels like a conversation at a coffee shop, okay, probably get out, right? There, there is a time for that, but you're paying for a service beyond just a conversation, all right? And so the therapist really needs to have a grasp of mental health and relationship care issues that clients are coming in with. So it's beyond just liking this person and thinking this person's a good conversation. It's does this person know what he or she is doing? And that's gonna come back to where'd that person get trained? What type of practice is that person running? Um, if that person is not like collecting, like having you fill out assessment instruments, right? Uh, research shows that the best therapists don't just rely on their clients' verbal, oh, things are going great or not, as, as, a, uh, uh, as a way to track outcome. They have you fill out a, a brief questionnaire, either periodically or every session, right? In, in my practices and at Lipscomb, we have clients fill out an assessment at the start of the session that rates their overall life outside of the room, and then at the end of the session that rates the quality of their uh, relationship with the therapist and the experience in therapy that day, right? And why do we do that? Simply because clients will oftentimes say something on paper before they're gonna tell it to you verbally. Research shows that. Um, humble therapists do this because we're not perfect at reading people's you know, uh, language and, and body language. I tell clients all the time, we all stink at mind reading, right? So this is a way for you to tell me uh, how, how things are going. Uh, but therapist factors like preparation, does a therapist adapt to client strengths, right? If you're a thinker, right, first, as opposed to a feeler first, and your therapist is force-feeding you all these feelings interventions, probably not a good fit. Probably not a sign that that therapist is very adaptable. Likewise, if you're a feeler and your therapist keeps asking you to, like, change behavior and change thoughts before really unpacking those emotions, therapist probably isn't being adaptable enough, right? Um, is the therapist aware of what's going on in the room, right? Is the therapist just reading you, okay? Now, not reading your mind, but reading your body language, reading your words, paying attention to you, right? Is the therapist good at getting you to buy in, right? It, it, we have to believe in what we're selling. Uh, now, therapy, we have every reason to believe in what we're selling because science over the last you know, 50 years has shown it to be uh, to worthwhile. But again, if you, you don't get the sense that this therapist is really confident in what he or she is doing, get out. Is the therapist likable? Just positivity, friendliness, right? Those, those, are, those are qualities that, that can take different forms, but you, you wanna experience that with your therapist. Um, and then is the therapist organized? If you walk in there and the therapist is always starting a little late and is a little, little disheveled and, and all of this, how do you think that therapist is doing at treatment planning? Is that therapist really taking the time to think about your issues the way he or she should be, right? So is, is there that level of organization? And then, is the therapist skilled at interrupting dysfunctional patterns both in the room and outside the room? So if you're two or three sessions in and you haven't had that moment where you go like, oh man, I do do that. Gosh, okay, that's a good point. Man, okay, I gotta start changing that. That should probably tell you something, right? If you're having that experience, it's probably because the therapist is good at intervening in that way and saying, okay, so why don't you look at her and say it like this way? 
and you, you do that and then your partner's like, okay, that's a good sign, okay? Um, so those are, you know, that's how we know therapy works. Client factors like engagement, the quality of the therapeutic alliance, the relationship between therapist and client, and does the therapist know what he or she is doing? Uh, so by my count, we have 13 minutes for questions. Uh, if you guys want more coffee, I guess you could just leave. But I'm more than uh, open to answering any questions, entertaining any comments. How could I uh, be of service to you guys today? So when you leave a session and you have more questions... The, as the client or therapist? The, the, the client, when they go into a session and you walk away and you're kind of in a conundrum, mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that a healthy thing or is that a scary thing? Uh, well, it, it's probably a healthy and scary thing depending on the context. So I do tell my clients at the very first session, this is your therapy and means we're going to talk about your personal life. That's not always going to feel good. Okay? And it's also a process. Therapies, relationships that are good generally aren't one session. right? So sometimes you do open up <laughs> Pandora's box in, 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 in a session with a therapist and you're leaving there going like, gosh, I have way more questions and I got no answers. Give treatment time to um, process through that. Generally over the course of an average therapy duration, you know, eight to 15 sessions or so, you end up getting answers to the questions that you're looking for, or at least a sense of peace that the questions you're asking maybe aren't answerable, right? A lot of clients come in with questions about the future five or 10 years from now, and you're like, yeah. You, they, those will remain questions until five or ten years from now, right? So just learning how to have a sense of peace there. Um, so yeah, it, 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 I guess it would depend on the type of questions. Um, if your questions that you're asking are, is this helpful to me, therapy? And you're asking yourself that question each and every week, get out, find a new therapist. Because uh, we know that therapy is helpful for those who are ready and willing to change ways of thinking and behaving. So if you're one of those and it's just not feeling good, find a new therapist, be picky, but also give it time, right? That, that, that's a decision you make after seeing a therapist probably a few times, unless you just have a really bad experience. Um, and we could get into those too, but other questions, yes? Um, when you, do you feel like you have a better outcome after a session if the patient comes in or the client mm -hmm. um, comes in kind of organic, like open to like the basic things or should would it be better for the client to come in, like, I want to work on these, like, with a bullet point? Like, it, it's either, I mean... Um, which, which so, early on in therapy, the more specific your, your requests for service are, probably the better to the therapist. Um, I do have clients who we've been working on an issue for a while. They, they're starting to make gains. They come in like, I don't really have anything to talk about. And then we end up having a dynamite session, right? Uh, that's generally mid to late therapy. That's not early on. When somebody comes in, it's just like, hi, <coughs> work on me. <laughs> you know, like, that's like inviting a contractor in your home and just say, have at it. <laughs> okay, right? So what helps the most? Like, so, helping you be as effective as possible and the client. So part of that is on me in that first session with me or our Lipscomb students or institute therapists, we train them to conduct a pretty thorough assessment. So we're going to ask clients about a broad range of issues in their lives, and things start to come up there, right? Uh, but the, the, the other piece of that is, you know, a therapist is skilled at just knowing how to <coughs> ask clients questions like, 
So how'd you know now is the time for you to come into therapy? What in your life outside this room kind of led <coughs> to your decision to give me a call, right? So maybe you don't, you're not really skilled at identifying what that is yet, or, and, but a, a skilled therapist will generally, if there's at least some shape to an idea of why a client's coming in, a skilled therapist is kind of like a potter that way. Uh, uh, you, you could kind of mold that into a workable problem. So how do I know if I should go see a therapist? Well, so on average, like in couple therapy, yeah, yeah, yeah ask your friends, yes. Um, so research shows that couples on average wait eight years to go see a therapist after they should have gone in, okay? So I love it when people come in when their life is not in mayhem. Right? It's way easier to make a tweak than it is to have a full-on overhaul to somebody's life. Um, sometimes just going in with the presenting problem, just I want to make sure that I'm operating at my peak. I want to make sure that my relationships are as good as they could be, that I'm practicing really good self-care habits that make me better for everybody around me. And I just want to make sure that um, my overall life, relationships, job, uh, mental health, all that is just top-notch. That's great. You know, go in establish a relationship with the therapist, that's probably not gonna be long-term treatment or weekly therapy indefinitely. Um, if people are asking them, themselves the question, that's probably a pretty good indicator um, that it wouldn't hurt to talk with a qualified professional that way. So that's, that's what I would say to that. So how do you, the whole body language thing where the person doesn't wanna be there, obviously, but they're there for some reason, so they can choose. Yeah. Uh, so how do you get over that? Sometimes, um, sometimes it's just me as a therapist uh, letting the kid know that I'm not the parent's just proxy, right? So what, legally parents, uh, for any kid 16, or under 16 years of age in the state of Tennessee, parents have a legal right to know everything about what's going on in therapy. I found that that tends to be a bad way to form a working alliance with that kid. So I'll sit in front of the, the, the kid and I'll say things like, okay, so here's the only way I'm gonna work with your kid is if you trust me to come to you for issues related to health or safety, for things that I think you absolutely need to know. But if he thinks I'm just gonna share everything with you that you just shared with me, I don't know that I have any reason to think this is really gonna work. And a lot of times the kids go like, <laughs> like oh, this is gonna be my therapy. This isn't like my parents making me do something through a third party. Um, that's one of the ways it work. If I truly have an unmotivated uh, um, like adolescent who really doesn't want to be there and refuses to engage in the process, I tell parents, save your time and money. Don't bring the kid in. Let's work on parenting stuff, right? Uh, the best parents know that they don't have control of their kids. They only have control of their kids' access to resources. And, and so when parents realize that they can't make their kids say or do anything but help them make informed decisions, they get a really good at saying things like, um, you, you know, you try hard enough, you're probably gonna be able to do this bad thing that you've heard me say not to do. Here's gonna be the consequences if you do that. I can't make you not do it, I can't make you do it. But if you don't do this, here's what's gonna happen. And when parents get really skilled at matching those consequences to the action and following through and communicating with their, especially adolescents, differently than they did when they were seven or eight years old. You know, so you have developmentally appropriate conversation. Things tend to go really well. Um, my first job in the field was in residential treatment. 
with kids ages 5 to 15 who have been taken out of their homes due to severe abuse and neglect. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, like a quarter of these kids are the future murderers and rapists of, you know, the, the world. And I remember the woman who trained me how to do this. Like, you walk into that setting, and the, for the most part, these kids listen to her. And these are like the hardest kids you could ever be around, and teenagers. We were the older, uh, I worked more with the older kids. And it was through her training that just consistency over time builds trust, and you don't use even language that lets uh, an adolescent think that you have control over him or her, and you just help that adolescent make choices. So when the adolescent says, can I go over there and punch him in the face? You can try. I mean, there's gonna be consequences to that. Uh, you know what happens here in our program here. If you act violently, you know, you have X, Y, and Z happen. Um, and again, so at that point, it tends to become parenting training, uh, which I, I'm a family therapist. I like to have the family and, and parents involved regularly anyway. Other questions? Could you repeat the designations that you mentioned, like how to spell K-Craft? Oh, oh, C-O-A-M-F-T-E. That's the top marriage and family therapy accreditation. And then K-Craft is C-A-C-R-E-P. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. That's the easiest question of the day. <laughs> A few minutes left. What do you think about life coaches? So life coaches don't require, to my knowledge, any official training um, at all. So I think your chances of getting a really bad life coach are way better than your chances of getting a really bad therapist. Um, uh, I'm sure that there are life coaches out there who are dynamite. Uh, I tend to not refer to any life coaches because there are way too many qualified therapists out there. Um, uh, it, 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 I wouldn't go, if I, if I was injured and I had the option to go see a physical therapist, I would see the physical therapist before I saw the exercise fitness trainer. It's kind of how I feel about that. Um, there's just way more mental health and relationship care training that goes to uh, marriage family therapists, counselors, psycholo psychologists, uh, than there are, I mean, to my knowledge, there are no protections to the public with life coaching. It's not a licensed profession, I don't think, in this state. And, um, and, it, and it, so, I'm generally not confident in just Joe Life Coach, um, but I'm sure there are good ones out there. Um, I have a 13-year-old who has been um, diagnosed by at least six licensed physicians mm -hmm. as being autistic. Mm -hmm. And then his recent psych eval was a physician who had been practicing a really long time and said, well, I don't think he is, maybe he got through it. Do you think that that is possible if he matured enough is that possible mm -hmm. that functioning or do you think that that could be a lack of like you said just receiving the minimal um continuing education yeah. so for an older physician i would say either of those is possible Right? In therapy, we deal more with pro probabilities and possibilities. I mean, it's possible that a meteorite can strike this building right now, but how much am I worried about that, right? So it's probably not the case. So research shows that there are a percentage of kids who meet the criteria for like autism spectrum disorder who end up not meeting those criteria later on in life, right? So in that stance, is it possible that um, th this child grew out of that, right? Yeah, sure, it's possible. Um, but if, it, to me, it also depends on when these assessments had happened. If these six previous assessments happened three years ago, 
and now we just had a new one, well, maybe it's changed. But if they've all occurred in the last 12 months, I would probably say maybe the latter is the case. I would just need to know more about that sure. particular case. But um, yeah, I mean, if six qualified therapists you know, see a pink elephant and the other person says like, no, it's a blue rhino, it's probably a pink elephant. Other comments? Was this helpful at all today? Yes, I got one, one nod, all right, good. Uh, what are the worst things you could do in a session? As a client? Um, probably not disclose something because you think the therapist is gonna judge you for it or, think, or be overwhelmed by it. You don't have to work in this field very long before you just see like different versions of the worst case scenario. So, you know, I'll have clients who sit down and you see this healing moment when there's this thing that they haven't been sharing or, or this thing that they've been going through that they've made so huge in their mind. And as a clinician, you go, oh yeah, okay. And he's like, oh gosh, that's a big deal. Okay, let's work on that. But it's not like. Like, no discomfort on the path, part of the therapist, right? I mean, so just say it. Uh, if you have fears about saying something because you don't think your therapist is trustworthy, then don't say it. But if the fears are just like, what's this person going to think if he or she knows X about me? Just say it. Therapists are terrible mind readers. We can't do it. We lack that sixth sense. We only have five just like everybody else. So we only know what clients tell us or what they show us with their body language. And body language is way more open to misinterpretation. So just to say it would be my response to that. All right, folks, our official time is up. If you have any questions you didn't want to ask in front of everybody, and they're brief. Uh, I also have cards for my clinic. If you guys uh, want, are, are, know somebody who's looking for a therapist, um, I'll be happy to give those to you. Thank you.